Sarah figured out that by switching to MetroPCS, she gets two free smartphones. Your barbecue ribs are the best. Take the rest home with you, Sarah. Just like she figured out that by visiting her in-laws, she doesn't have to cook for the rest of the week. You too figure it out. Get two free 4G LTE smartphones from top brands like Samsung and LG after instant rebate when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included. See store or metropcs.com for details and terms and conditions. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Wake Up Mission Show. With your host, Shalene Nightingale. And Randy D. Another day's broadcast. Today is Tuesday, December 12th, 2015. It is Truth Tuesday. And today's episode is going to, uh, it's probably going to piss some people off, but I really don't care. Uh, you know, I've heard a lot of, you know, theories on both sides of this coin uh, for quite a while, and just in our research and exploring topics, I thought this was a, um, you know, pretty apt topic uh, to cover for today. It may take the whole two hours because I've got a lot of material. There's a lot of audio to go over, so it's going to be, I think it's interesting. There's And again, there's going to be a good bit of audio with this episode. And sometimes in the the audio that I found, most well, I'll start by most of the audio I found that I wanted to use for this particular episode was well over two hours. Some was an hour, some was, some was three hours, and we on we're only we only broadcast for two hours, so we couldn't fit it all in uh, into one one episode. But anyways, today's topic is in the Vatican is is this something that really happens uh, well you know unless you're there you know but like the rest of us I've never been to the Vatican hell I've never been to Italy <laughs> so I don't know but I'm going to start with uh, the information I found out uh, and this is concerning the Jesuits because we're going to kind of go uh, chronologically up until you know, today's, uh, you know, chronologically from way back when up until today. Well, there, there's here's some key facts. Uh, the Jesuits are also known as the Society of Jesus, the Company of Jesus, and the Company. And ironically, I think the CIA is a company. Um, and it was it was founded uh, somewhere around the year 1540. Um 
and it was uh, to the government of the church militant, and the founder was Ignatius of Loyola. And the headquarters are at the church of Gesu, Gesau, G-E-S-U, and there's some weird little thing above the U. I don't know what that means. Well, it's in Rome. And currently, there's Adolfo Nicholas, and uh, they've got approximately 17,000 people. So, let's get started. Uh, the Society of Jesus, abbreviated as SG, also known as the Jesuits, is, pre is presently a male-dominated, mystical, evangelical religious order of the Catholic Church, founded on August 15, 1534, and that's feast day for Lucifer since 7 CE, as a military order, and first recognized by uh, Papal Bull Regimeni Militants Ecclesiae on September the 27th, 1540. Uh, and uh, the restrictions on the order were not removed until March 14th, 1543, the oldest uh, feast day for Lucifer and Mithra through Papal Bull Okay, so the foundation. The Society of Jesus, or more commonly known as the Jesuits, remains arguably the most enigmatic and misrepresented body for more than 400 years since their founding in the 16th century through the combination of heroic devotion to their personal vows with the quest for deeper spiritual enlightenment tempered by an absolute military loyalty to a greater cause. The Jesuits have been variously claimed as connected or responsible for virtually every plot or historic plot since their formation. They were origin they were founded initially as the Company of Jesus on Assumption Day, also being the traditional feast traditional feast day for Lucifer. Uh, in a secret ceremony in the crypt of the chapel of Saint Denise by Ignatius of Loyola, born Ignacio Lopez de Loyola and Francisco Xavier, Alfonso Salmaron, Diego Lainez, and Nicolas Babadilla, all from Spain, Peter Faber from Savoy in France, and Samuel Rodriguez from Portugal. The formation was supported by a Venetian Dog, Andrea Gritti, and Alessandro Farnese as. Pope Paul III, including Francis Borgia of the infamous Borgia, also known as Borgia Borga, Duke of Grandia, grandson of Pope Alexander the VI, I think that's either fourth or sixth, and the patron of patron of Ignatius of Loyola. Francis Borgia was the principal financier and architect in the formalization of the Jesuits into the first dedicated military order of monks of the Catholic Church. He was also responsible for securing the papal bull Regimini Milit Milit Militantis from the Borgia family friend Alessandro Farnese, Pope Paul III, which first gave the Jesuits official status as an order. Ignatius of Loyola first came to the attention of the young Duke of Grandia uh, by 1529, after Ignatius was again arrested by the Inquisition for practicing extreme religious devotion. 
Borgia saw potential in the extreme military-based devotion being preached by Ignatius of Loyola and his desire to establish an order of military monks. It was the young Borgia who saved the life of Ignatius from the Inquisition. Now, after the death of Ignatius in 1557, Francis Borgia was expected to be the second superior general. However, his ambitions were hampered first by archenemy Giovanni Pietro Carafa as Pope Paul IV. Carafa had been one of the greatest enemies of Borgia, Pope Paul Alexander VI, and immediately nominated Diego Lainez, or James Lainez, as superior general. Well, Pope Paul IV died in August 1559 and was replaced by Giovanni Angelo de Medici, Pope Pius IV, or, yeah, fourth. In both cases, Jesuit Superior General Diego Lainez aligned himself closely, making him virtually untouchable. However, after Pope Pius IV rounded up and tortured and murdered Benedicto, Benedicto Acalti and other members of papal families in an alleged failed plot, Cardinal Borgia made his move and Pius IV was poisoned to death on December 9, 1565. A few days later, Superior General Diego Lainez suffered the same fate, and soon after, Cardinal Francis Borgia was unanimously elected the third Superior General. Now, they do have a philosophy um, in this order. Uh, the outward philosophies of the Jesuit military order are found in two major works attributed to Ignatius of Loyola, the first called Spiritual Exercises, and it was first approved and published in 1548 and the second called Constitutions of the Society of Jesus in 1554. The book Spiritual Exercises introduces a set of philosophical meditations, prayers, and exercises pertaining to the development of a deeper discernment as to the complexities and consequences of choice, particularly the various paradoxes of good and evil. The work also introduces a deep mysticism and nature of allegorical writing that has remained the hallmark of Jesuit prose to present day, whereby a statement may have multiple meanings depending on the discernment of the reader. While it is entirely possible, Ignatius of Loyola is the author, the content of spiritual exercises is unmistakably Venetian and Mithraic within its providence and nature, making it more likely the work was conceived whilst Loyola was in Venice than in a cave at uh, Manresa in Spain. In the deepest revelation concerning the canonical, canonical text of Jesuit philosophy and thinking is that the history of mankind has been on a path since the beginning of time from birth as an animal and creature with all our doubts, fears, and faults toward fulfillment as unity with the divine and that the deepest sources of pain and anguish by discerning beings is to be found in fighting against self-evident truth and that it is essential for any genuine self-development of competence and discernment to adopt a regime of military-like discipline and detachment from temporal goods and when we detach ourselves from sense temporalities 
we're able to discern the divine in all things and the deeper paradox between life and death and good versus evil. Now, here's some unique features of the Jesuit military order. Now, Borgia strengthened the already substantial powers of the Jesuit superior general to be greater than any other order in the history of the Catholic Church. While technically monks, the constitution of the order was unique that it exempted priests from the cloistered rule, you know, living in monasteries. Instead, Jesuit monks were to live in the world. Only the Dominican priests, who were the chief torturers of the Inquisition and the Catholic Church at the time, had anything like such freedoms. However, the Jesuit constitution from the very beginning went further in that it permitted and even encouraged priests not to wear the habit, which, you know, was a traditional monk dress, so that they would blend in to the world. Well, Borgia secured a papal bull from Pope Paul III in 1545, permitting the Jesuits to preach, hear confession, dispense the sacraments, and say Mass without having to refer to a bishop, effectively placing them outside the control of the regional clergy. In addition, Borgia amended the constitution of the Jesuit military order even further when he bestowed powers to the office of the superior, superior general of the Jesuits, second only to the Pope. By its own constitution, from 1565, uh, and which remains in force today, the superior general can absolve priests and new recruits of all their sins, even the sin of heresy and schism, the falsification of apost apostolic writings. That's what schism is. Well, anyways, further, the superior generals from the time of Borgia onwards had the, quote, official power by papal bull and its bylaws to reverse sentences of excommunication, suspension, or interdict, and even absolve Jesuit priests guilty of murder and bigamy. And one of the most stunning victories of Superior General Borgia was, in, was the year he died, when he secured uh, under Pope Gregory the 13th in 1572 the rights of the Jesuits to deal in commerce and banking. Huh. A right that had not been granted to any religious order of, Catholic, of the Catholic Church since the Knights Templars 400 years earlier. In fact, it is these laws under the constitution of the Jesuit order that have rise to the superior general being known as the Black Pope. And October and the Black Pope, keep that, that phrase in mind or that definition, adjective, whatever you want to call it. Keep that in mind because uh, we'll be talking about that later. The audio will. Well, anyways, the Jesuits and education. In October of 1538, Roman Pontiff Paul II uh, issued a pap the papal bull calling upon the Roman Catholic Church to become principally a teaching institution to the world while also reconstituting the Dominican friars. The Jesuits were then granted the English hospice as their first seminary and education college in history as the Collegium Anglicius, or College of, the Eng of, of English, and it was reconstituted in 1579 um, as the Pontifical Collegio Inglés, and that's basically the Pontifical College of English. In February of 1551, prior to the recommencement of the second period of the Council of Trent, 
Roman Pontiff Julius II ceded the Collegium Roma, Romanum, and basically that's the Roman College, to the control of the company of Gesu, G-E-S-U, the Jesuits, and Ignatius of Loyola as superior general, granting its headquarters at the base of Capitol, Capitol Line Hill. Capitol Hill. Huh. So maybe that's where that phrase came from. Now, from 1556, uh, the Roman College was also known as Universita Roma or the University of Rome under the control of the Superior General of the Company of the Jesuits. And from 1584, the Roman College was also known as the Pontifica Universita Gregoriana or the Great pontifical universe under the control of the most senior rector of the society of jesuits and within the great universe a series of colleges were either formed or reconstituted uh, for most major languages and regions of people from 1579 including the english including english german hungarian greek polish scottish irish belgian french south america north america croatian armenian Canadian, Spanish, Marianite, Portuguese, Brazil, Filipino, and Ethiopian. These reconstructurings, these reconstructurings effectives shifted the teaching control of magisterium of the Catholic Church to the Jesuits as opposed to operational control. Thus, the real power within the Jesuit order has remained the rectors as, the, as opposed to the provincials in terms of teaching, knowledge, and counsel. Using their unheralded powers, the Jesuits established a counter-education movement to the Protestants, using their priceless access to secret Vatican archives. The Jesuits dedicated themselves to manipulating every major stream of science and philosophy against the Protestant intellectuals, including subverting their secret societies. Uh, the recruitment and promotion of education had a secondary benefit for the Jesuits in that it ensured higher caliber recruits and made their services more attractive across the Catholic world. The Jesuits quickly became known as the order dedicated to education excellence in Catholic countries a perverse notion considering their original purpose for existence and structure was military. Now on to trade. Another area where the Jesuits sought to compete against the Protestant states early was in the securing of lucrative trade routes. And thanks to Pope Gregory XIII, the Jesuits were the only religious order with the power to conduct commerce and banking. Uh, Jesuit Superior General Claudio Aquaviva Aqua soon put this to good use when, in 1580, he ordered um, uh, this company, French Villela or FR, Friar Villela SJ, to purchase the port of Nagasaki from a local Japanese warlord. Now, General Aquaviva then sent Alessandro Viglagnano back to manage the new commercial mission. Uh, the Jesuits promoted heavily the growth of their wholly owned port of Nagasaki. Uh, Nagasaki, huh, how about that? Well, to one of the most profitable trading ports in the world, Jesuit ownership of the port gave the society a concrete monopoly and taxation over all imported goods coming into Japan. The Jesuits, under Peter Clavier, 
were also instrumental in the development of the slave trade from Africa to South America to be used in the gold mines. Huh. How about that? Up to a half a million slaves were shipped and arrived under the watch of Peter Clover. And later, the Jesuits uh, transformed Claver from one of the history's worst slave masters to the patron saint of slaves. Okay. Uh, the, uh, you know, basically, Colombian and African Americans. However, both Spain and Portugal in particular were angry at the increasing wealth and influence of the Jesuits encroaching on their profits from the slaves and monopolization of trade. And in response, the Portuguese seeking to restrict the Jesuits in Japan by arming their enemies. General Claudio Aquaviva formed an alliance in 1595 with the Dutch in supporting their merchant ships and trade. In response to the new alliance, the English Parliament issued a charter granting a monopoly on the pirate trade alliance of the East India Company in 1600. In 1602, General Claudio Aquaviva assisted the Jesuit mer merchants to gain a 21-year charter of monopoly from the States General of the Netherlands to form the Veringide, the Vering, the Verenigd Ostenich Company, or VOC, in Dutch. Literally, the United East Indies Company of Dutch East India Company. Okay, that's where that came from. Okay. Well, using the exclusive powers of the Jesuits to conduct banking and commerce, the Dutch East India Company represented one of the most profit profitable companies in history thanks to its control of spices, slaves, drugs, and plantations. And the Jesuits only lost control in 1773 at the disbandment of the order. Okay, now we're going to get into suppression. Uh, you know, never mind that whole slave trade thing we just heard. Well, while the initial argument of the Jesuits to an involvement in trade was to corrupt and hamper the activities of the Protestant trade, in reality it was Catholic nations who were most upset. Added to the Jesuit woes was the increasing danger to the order from its duties of chiefs as chief assassins. Every time a new king or queen died under their watch, the noble families of Europe became more agitated. But it was the Jesuit control of education and suppression of liberalism that was to lead to their disbandment. Now, why Protestant nations left ahead in commerce, industry, and education, the Catholic states continued to lose control. Spain, Portugal, uh, and the states of Italy, and even France had all watched with indignity while England, Germany, Russia, and the other northern European states had grown in wealth and prestige. In 1758, the minister of Joseph I of Portugal and the Marquis of Pombal expelled the Jesuits from Portugal and shipped them en masse to Civitavecchia as a gift for the Pope. And in 1764, King Louis uh, XV of France expelled the Jesuits. And by 1769, the movement to expel the Jesuits had grown, in, had grown in such momentum that there was a real risk the papal estates might also be taken. Now, Pope Clement XIII called for a con consistory in order to disband the Jesuits, including the preparation of a papal bull for the pronouncement. But on February 2nd, 1769, the night before the bull to disband the Jesuits was due to be promulgated, 
General Lorenzo Ricci had the Pope murdered. Hmm. His successor, Pope Clement the Sixteenth. I guess it's XIV. I guess that's sixteen. I hell, I don't know. It's freaking Roman numerals. Well, anyways, his successor, Pope Clement uh, himself, trained by the Jesuits, was more strategic. In July of 1773, Pope Clement signed the Order Dominicus Act Redemptor to disband the Jesuits and their churches, and their churches and assets were seized in simultaneous raids. And in exchange, Pope Clement was given back Avignon and to Benevento to the Papal States for, quote, services rendered to the royal houses. And this, the suppression took uh, General Ricci completely by surprise, but before he could retaliate, he was arrested on August 17th and imprisoned at Castel San Angelo in Rome. But on September the 22nd of 1774, Ricci had successfully had Pope, the six, Pope Clement XVI assassinated at the age of 68. And Ricci remained imprisoned and died uh, in jail on November 24th, 1775, after 15 um, years as the general. Now, while the seizure of property, execution of priests, and suppression of the order took effect, the legal effect was uh, neg negligible. And contrary to historic claims, a papal bull cannot contradict a previous papal bull unless the previous one was clearly defective. And almost all of the papal bulls forming the Jesuits and granting powers were watertight uh, the orders of Pope Clement XVI simply had the effect of brute force, with no legal effect, as the primary of the Jesuits themselves. And, the, and they, the Jesuits had a counterattack. Um, the imprisonment and death of Ricci and uh, the letter of suppression did not bring the desired end of the Jesuits. The letter was valid only in those countries where it was officially promulgated. Frederick of Prussia, recognizing the value of the Jesuits as educators, refused to promulgate it, the brief. And so, too, Catherine II of Russia forbade its promulgation uh, for, this sum of the, for, for the same reasons. And at first, some Jesuits became parish priests and continued to teach in the Jesuit colleges uh, as they had before. And since they were recognized legally as Jesuits in those two countries, the fathers in White Russia called a general congregation, and uh, the first in White Russia, and they elected vicar general, uh, the fifteen, the fifty-three-year-old Father Stanislas Zerwinish. Uh, uh, Jesus, I don't know how to C Z E R N I E W I C Z. I don't know how you say that. Well, he was a leading, he was a leading Jesuit of the province, and was rectored at the College of Polotsk. And this and Stanislaw died on July seventh, seventeen eighty five, and the followers called the second congregation of White Russia to elect a successful successor, and they elected Victor General Father Gabriel Lenkowitz uh on September the twenty seventh. And two years after his election, uh Gabriel Lenkowitz seized an opportunity to inflict revenge upon one of the royal houses of Europe that had contributed to the downfall of the Jesuits. And reform-minded King Louis the uh, XVI, the 14th, I guess, of France, had convened an assembly of notables, and that was a group of some nobles, bourgeoisie, and bureaucrats, oh boy, bureaucrats, selected in order to bypass the parliament, dominated by the noble families. 
And in order to improve the standard of living for the poorest of France and halt growing hunger, the king sought the approval of the assembly to his plan to tax noble families and the Catholic Church for the first time. Well, of course, that outraged the Catholic bishops, and the Jesuits, Jesuits were called in from Russia to provide assistance on how to subvert, subvert the king's plans. They had quickly exploited the, king's, exploited the king's plan to bypass thoroughly corrupt parliament. Wow, that sounds like what's going on here today. Huh. Uh, and began printing pamphlets and anti-monarch material, stating that the king was actually working against the common people. Because by law, one-third of the French parliament were elected from the common people. And that was called the Third Estate. Well, again, exploiting the reform-minded king's desire to see change work, the Jesuits promoted open riots and a counter-movement claiming it was really the people who wanted change, not the king. Well, to end the chaos, in 1791, King Louis uh, XVI promulgated a new constitution in which France would function as a constitutional monarchy, providing real political freedom and democracy for the first time for any mainland European nation. Wow, how novel is that? Well, in response, Pope Pius VI ordered Holy Roman Emperor Leopold II of Austria to attack his brother-in-law. And by 1792, the Jesuit-controlled Jacobites had captured the king, and for two, the following two years during the Jes Jesuit reign of terror, over 40,000 people were executed, mostly without even a trial. And the revolution itself did not at first advance the cause of the Jesuits to see their reinstatement. Instead, it gave renewed confidence to their ability to topple even the oldest of monarchies, and so gave rise to the audacious plan to capture uh, the Pope and the wealth of the Catholic Church. In one of the great misdirections and forgeries of history, loyal Jesuit agent uh, Gilbert du Mauteur, uh, the Marquis de Lafayette, known simply to most as Lafayette, did not simply abandon his loyal troops uh, and influence to hide in the obscure Belgian region of Liege, where he was conveniently held, quote, prisoner for five years. Instead, Lafayette was tasked by the Jesuits to take the vast gold reserves of France to America. Well, in New York, the stolen French gold was placed in the care of the Bank of New York, which was founded in 1784, and the newly formed Bank of Manhattan Company, which, which we all know as J.P. Morgan Chase. How about that? <laughs> well, Jesuit agent Antoine Christophe Salicidi had carefully groomed the career of fellow Corsican Napoleon Bonaparte for several years. And in 1795, while serving in Paris, Napoleon succeeded in crushing the rebellion, rebellion of royalists and counter-revolutionaries and was promoted uh, the new regime leader um, by the new regime leader, Paul Francis Jean Nicolas uh, Vicomte de Barras, or Paul Barras. And after his marriage to Josephine de Bejaharnes, wow, that's a mouthful, <laughs> Solicity ensured Napoleon was given command of the French Army of Italy and in March of 1796 in order to invade Italy, specifically to capture the Pope in Rome. And at the same time, the Jesuits uh, through Switzerland formed private banks, uh, Darier, Hinch, and C, and uh, Lombard, Odor, Darier, Hinch, as custodians for all gold, treasure, and contracts seized during the campaign. 
However, Pope Pius VI arranged his own peace treaty with Napoleon as Tolento uh, as Tolentino on February 19, 1797, and it took the Jesuits arranging the murder of French Brigadier General <clears throat> Mathurin Leonard Dupont in Rome to get Napoleon to finally complete the task of arresting the Pope. Well, six weeks after the Pope's transfer uh, to the Citadel of Valence, he died on August 29, 1799. Meanwhile, back in Rome, the Jesuit agents of Superior General uh, Gabriel Linkowitz reviewed all the treasury notes of the Vatican as to the various locations of Vatican gold and treasure, and sending it to Switzerland, and Darrier, Hinch, and Seabank, and in turn the bank continued for a time to fund Napoleon for his continued campaigns of conquest. As a note, I want to note in November of 1798, Gabriel Linkowitz uh, died, and Father Franz Xavier Carroll was elected uh, vicar general. So that's uh, that, that's where we are with that right now. I'm going to do a little bit of audio, um, just to kind of well, I wouldn't say get you up to speed, but. Um, to kind of, um, well, let's see, should we or should we not? Well, I think so. And then we'll get back to uh, what's going on there. And this is about this pope right now, the one, Pope Francis. Now, he was a Jesuit or is a Jesuit, so we'll get back to that. So we're going to leap forward to today. Uh, this audio is very disturbing, so check this out. There may be moments of silence in it. Um, these are from videos, and they are all available on our website, thewakeupmissionshow.com, and they're also available for viewing on our Facebook page, The Wake Up Mission Radio Show. So uh, let's check this out, and then we'll get back to the history lesson. Hello, this is March 3rd, 2014, and this is a legal notice and public summons issued today by the International Common Law Court of Justice Criminal Trial Division in Brussels. In the matter of the people versus Jorge Bagoglio, Adolfo Nicholas Pachon, Justin Welby, and others. A summons to appear before this court is issued on this day, March 3, 2014, to the following persons. Jorge Bagoglio, alias Pope Francis I, Pontiff of the Church of Rome. Adolfo Nicholas Pachon, alias Superior General of the Jesuit Order. Justin Welby, alias Archbishop of Canterbury, the Church of England. Let these persons, their agents, and the world be advised that they, the named parties as flesh-and-blood men, are hereby publicly charged by the Citizen Prosecutor's Office of the Court with the following offenses. 1. Organizing, aiding, and abetting child rape, torture, and trafficking within their bodies corporate, and inciting and commanding their agents and followers to do the same. 2 violating the laws of nations and compelling their agents and followers to commit treason within their respective nations. Three, criminal complicity in the death, rape, torture, and genocide of untold numbers of children. And four, criminally conspiring to commit and conceal these offenses and counseling others to do the same. These accused persons as flesh and blood men are hereby summoned to appear as primary defendants in a lawsuit addressing their responsibility for these crimes to be adjudicated by the court. 
commencing at its opening examination hearing on March 31st, 2014 in the city of Brussels. These defendants are advised that they or their legal representatives must appear at this hearing or give just cause in writing within 10 days of the state as to why they are unable or unwilling to attend. The defendants are further advised that their failure to respond to the summons or to challenge these charges made against them will be interpreted by the court as a tacit admission of guilt by them and will constitute a plea of nolo contendere or non-contested declaration and will be entered into the court record as such. This public summons is issued by the Office of the Presiding Magistrates of the Criminal Trial Division of the Court on the third day of March in the year 2014 in the City of Brussels. The defendants are hereby publicly served. Hi there, this is Kevin Annett again. I'm speaking to you on March 29th from an undisclosed location. Now, I have an important update from the Common Law Court of Justice in Brussels concerning the case to be launched soon against Pope Francis, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the head of the Jesuits for their involvement in not only global child trafficking, but the actual murder and torture of children, which we've documented thoroughly. The case was to commence March 31st in Brussels, but prior to that, when I was in New York City this last week, I, we received notification from a very highly placed source in the Vatican that a disruption team, a black ops team in effect, was dispatched by the Vatican this last week against the work of the court. Now, this team was in the employee and is in the employee of what's called the Holy Alliance, which is the Jesuit-run spine and assassination agency of the Vatican, that has operated historically to attack any opponent of the Pope. This team is now in Brussels attempting to disrupt and destroy the work of the common law court in this case, obviously because it's revealing something the church doesn't want revealed. And as a result, new security measures were brought in, including delaying the opening of the court to April 7th, and also to bring in new security around the court members, including myself, it was also decided the court was to uh, operate in camera or in closed session, not in public session for now. But to compensate for that fact, the court established a new information agency attached to the prosecutor's office. And that agency has released an information uh, in the first bulletin dated today, um, Sunday, I'm sorry, Saturday, March 29th. Now, I won't read out all of this uh, bulletin. It's contained in an attached email, which will be posted at itccs.org. But it's very important because it shows that the sacrificial cult that we've documented, known as the Ninth Circle, which involves high-placed cardinals and officials in the church, including former Pope Benedict and others, that this Ninth Circle sacrificial cult did in fact operate at the Mohawk Indian Residential School in Brantford, Ontario, where actually our tribunal did commence excavations at a mass grave of the students at the school. This Ninth Circle cult involves the Jesuits and other officials of church and state. I urge you to read through the bulletin. It has very startling information which confirms what we already knew in, about the demonic nature of the church's operation of these Indian boarding schools, but how these rituals occurred in many other facilities, Catholic facilities around the world. Now, it's also clear that the primary defendants, uh, Jorge Bagaglio, Justin Welby, and Adolfo Pichon, have been conspiring 
ever since this information came out to shut down the work of the tribunal, our court, and myself, Kevin Annett. And this misinformation campaign continues, but we urge you to read the attached documentation and report at itccs.org from the information agency office of the citizen prosecutor in Brussels. Now, I will be returning to Europe in mid-April to assist the work of the court and the public information agency. And we urge you until then to stay tuned for the weekly updated bulletins showing the information that is being introduced in court by the prosecution commencing April 7th. And stay tuned, of course, at itccs.org for more information. I thank you. We're um, very privileged today to be with um, Kevin Annett, who is the acting secretary of the International Tribunal into Crimes of Church and State, who's coming to us from Spain. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks, Alfred. It's good to be talking to you. Now, if you go to the, the itccs.org site, you'll see over the last number of weeks some tremendous uh, things have been happening. First of all, in Brussels, the, on April 7th, the common law, second common law court of justice um, session convened. The first one, if you recall, the one that convicted Joseph Ratzinger and Queen Elizabeth uh, for crimes against humanity in Canada, the genocide of indigenous people there. That, uh, that led into the second case having to do with global child trafficking. The chief defendants being uh, Jorge Bagoglio, uh, President Pope Francis, uh, Adolfo Pachon, the head of the Jesuits, and Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury in England. Now, the case uh, began on April 7th with the prosecution opening its arguments, and there have been three bulletins so far from the Public Information Office of the prosecutor, because the court has had to operate under conditions of secrecy and confidentiality because of threats being made to them, and also uh, from information we were given from Rome, from sources there, uh, an attempt to shut down the court issued by the Vatican uh, intelligence agencies, whatever you want to call them. Um, and the, in response to that, the court decided that it was important to put out weekly bulletins uh, summarizing some of the evidence that was being put forward by the prosecution. Now, I've been working in Europe, in Holland, in France, and in Spain with the witnesses to, in this case of global child trafficking, things I've been hearing just completely blew my mind. Uh, these eyewitnesses, who, for example, who sat in on meetings with Jorge Bergoglio planning the child trafficking of political prisoners, uh, the, the children of those prisoners in Argentina during the dirty wars, um, two women who witnessed uh, the serial rape and torture of children by former Pope Benedict and Jorge Bagaglio themselves, according to this thing called the Ninth Circle, which is a apparently a child sacrificial cult operating within the Vatican and has for several centuries, and um, other information related to how this global child trafficking is continuing very much through the Catholic Church and its various agencies. And so it's been um, not only an, an amazing time for for this stuff to come out. But in response, we've had an increasing number of people come forward. Here in Spain, I've been meeting with two different groups who have been leading a campaign here on behalf of the over 300,000 people who, as children, were trafficked by the Catholic Church here in Spain, um, where literally the children were stolen by priests and nuns. 
Their parents were told they had died, and then they were trafficked for between sixty and eighty thousand dollars each. We estimate the Vatican made over twenty billion dollars over the last fifty years here in Spain alone through this illegal child trafficking. How are the witnesses um, bringing their statements? Now you're traveling and finding more information. Uh, where are the? Uh, where is the um, conversations or the record of? Uh, uh, these witnesses going to be posted? The actual um, final statements and everything is going to be similar to the format we had in the first case in Genocide in Canada. Uh, if people remember, if you go to itccs.org, you can see all of the evidence from the, the prosecution's case, 150 exhibits. These are eyewitness testimonies, you know, videotaped uh, uh, statements. Um, documents, signed affidavits, and, and other, other evidence that is all posted online. We're going to have a whole package of that at the end, but the thing to realize about this case is it's so much bigger, uh, if you can believe it. I mean, genocide in Canada is a pretty huge issue, but this is global. It's centuries old, and we're getting so much evidence coming in that, frankly, we don't have the staff or the means to really uh, bring it all together at this point. We're trying to do the, the best we can, but Right now, the, um, the little staff that, that is being used in Brussels and at other locations, they are compiling the evidence uh, as the prosecution presents it. But eventually it's going to come out. I would say it, it might even take up to a year to get all of this stuff presented. That, that is no accident that uh, he's parading children in front of him like that because according to not just eyewitnesses who are at these ritual cult murders of children, who saw Bergoglio there, but actual material that's being submitted to the court in Brussels now. This was from a, a source within the Vatican, from the Jesuit archives, released material that refers to something called the magisterial privilege. Magisterium refers to, of course, the cardinal. Of, it, it refers to, uh, it's another name for the, the curia, or the College of Cardinals. Basically, this magisterial privilege, according to documents, is that every pope would be expected as part of his initiation, to be engaged in these child sacrificial cults, which involve the ritual slaying of newborn children or young, young children and drinking of their blood, because it evokes a certain spiritual power and control over the human race to do this, according to their, their sick thinking. And this is something that Bergoglio himself was involved in, according to these two women who witnessed it. Now, um, you know, when... It's kind of like he's sending a message to everybody. We're we're not accountable to anybody. We're going to keep doing these crimes. And yet to the public, it seems, oh, isn't that nice? He's, he's with these kids, and it's that full grandfather image. So it's it's that, that two-faced thing we're talking about. What is this new alliance between Israel and kind of the Zionists and the Vatican and the Pope, who's sort of the major dark forces Figure. Well, you know, on one level, we know that um, the whole Rothschild connection to the Vatican Bank is very real. When the uh, there was a period when the uh, the papacy apparently um, banished the Jesuits, they disestablished the Jesuits for a, a few years. The Jesuits simply went underground and established the Illuminati. That was around 1773. And Jacob Rothschild or the Rothschild lineage, they were very involved in that that whole process. Um, when Mussolini created the Vatican Bank, 
um, there was not only uh, were a billion lira were put into the Vatican Bank by the by the Mussolini, the fascist government, but from the Rothschild banking interest as well. Um, we also know this new global alliance forming um, between you know Russia and China. The, the Vatican is very much in there as a broker. Um, they have transferred a lot of money out of the Vatican Bank into Germ German and Chinese banks. We know that. We know that the Vatican has also recognized the official state-run Catholic Church in China, which is very unusual for them to do that, unprecedented. So, I mean, you know, it's, I think it's all part of that same stuff. Well, it's, it's, it's a very big power block when you think about it. If you can add up all the Catholics in the world with all the Chinese and the Russians, then they've got a very... <laughs> It's all well coming true, you know, in terms of the three power blocks in 1984. Okay, so that was disturbing. Well, we're going to get back to history. Um, uh, the, and we have got, I've got more testimony. Um, now, there's this lady named Charlotte Keckler who claims she was a nun. Um, and there's interviews with her as well, and they're they're like just way over two hours. I, I there was just no way to um, get all this in, but I wanted to get that audio out of the way, and, and I needed to take a break. Well, anyways, back to the Jesuits. Now, at the death of uh, Pius the Fourth in August of 1799, as a French prisoner, Cardinal Count Barnaba. Chiaramonte was eventually um, elected as Pope Pius VI on March 4th of 1800. And while initially on acceptable terms with Napoleon, um, having secured a concordant in 1801 and attending his coronation in 1804. However, by 1808, he was a prisoner of France, uh, uh, not by Jesuit intrigue, but by Napoleon now running his own race. And after the disastrous Russian campaign had significantly weakened uh, Napoleon's power, uh, Jesuit leader Tadeusz uh, uh, Brzozowski, um, the, and he was the first superior general after Restoration, restoration had met with Pope Pius VI at his prison uh, in either January or February of 1814 and had secured an agreement with the Pope fully restore the Jesuit order and grant it new lands and rights in Asia. Now, upon the agreement that the Jesuits would arrange for the safe release of the post, upon the arrest of Napoleon, which happened uh, on April of 1814, and that the Jesuits will not undertake any more actions against any more popes and restate their pledge to loyalty, and that the Pope would get back control of the papal territories and that some of the funds of the Catholic Church controlled by the Vatican would be returned. And so subsequently, the society was restored to the world by papal letter uh, Selectidine Ominum Ecclesiarium uh, on August the 14th of 1814. And I guess everything went fine, uh, you know, up until 1942. And there was a Jesuit civil war, which lasted for 30 years. Uh, in 1941, at age 75, Count uh, Vladimir Litochowski, uh the Jesuit um, superior general, um, uh, was at the height of his supremacy, and still fit and, com and completely uh, com still and was still a fit and completely German man. And his army of Jesuit influentials had similarly 
reached great heights in all places held by Catholic dictators, as well as here in the U.S. So why would there be a civil war among factions of the Jesuits? Well, one of the great historical anomalies is the behavior of both Hitler, Himmler, and Stalin uh, in the, uh, Rush, the, the invasion of Russia by the Nazis. Um, and contrary to spin historians, these men had not only shown ruthless pragmatism in managing power until this point, but were actively working together on a number of military and scientific fronts until uh, Hitler, uh, the Nazis, invaded Germany. And it's no, you know, they had formed, you know, like, uh, you know, Hitler, they had like a non-aggression pact, and then Hitler broke it. Well, and a frequent excuse is um, it, that's given uh, is that a fear that Hitler was fiercely Catholic, and he had become drunk with power, and he decided to invade Russia because he hated the Russians. But basically, Hitler was a mere soldier uh, compared to Himmler. Um, the new Grand Inquisitor of the Roman Catholic Church, um, along with his army of assassins and torturers. So instead, it's much more certain that the Jesuit superior general, the Lachowski, instructed Himmler to push for the assault on the understanding this would complete a complete sweep of the Catholic National Socialism over Catholic National Communism. And similarly, it's clear that uh, that Count Litochowski said something in uh, in reverse to Stalin uh, that this was that that this was the plan that would ultimately destroy Germany, uh, as Stalin's behavior against his own country and people was nothing other than treacherous, and we all know what Stalin did to his people. Well, you know, and uh, Germany invaded Russia in 1941. And Stalin, um, against every other example of Ruth's judgment to protect his own power, seemingly invited for his troops to be slaughtered in defeating by refusing his generals to fully engage, and then having the generals executed, and then repeating the same bizarre process almost up to Moscow. However, uh, the Russian winner, um, uh, uh, and the jaws of the, so the Jesuit Soviet machine clamped down, on the uh, on the German army, and from that point on, the fate of the Nazi dream and power were pretty much sealed. Um, and for such a loyal German Jesuit as Himmler, uh, so, uh, such deliberate trickery by Litochowski would have been devastating and unforgivable. And the Jesuits had shifted their power away from Germany, France, and Italy to America for the first time in their history. And on December 13, 1942, Count Vladimir Lelochowski died suddenly, and almost certainly murdered by the very best assassins of Himmler for his treachery in dooming the German-Swiss-French Illuminati Jesuits. Huh, Illuminati, okay. Well, technically, this act uh, plunged the Jesuits into civil war. Uh, they, uh, they were unable to convene a general congregation until the end of the war, when all Jesuits have permission to elect their leader. Uh, Vicar General... Norbert de Boyne uh, could not be made superior general, and this left the American Jesuits, led by um, Edmund Walsh, free to pursue their agenda along, along with other international factions. Well, the German, Swiss, Italian, French Jesuits during the war headed by Heinrich Himmler represented the Illuminati, the old guard who had been betrayed by their slain leader, uh, Lechowski. 
And the other clamp representing the new guard, the New World Order, where have we heard that before? <laughs> Headed by the American Canadian Jesuits and allies along with English and even Australian Jesuits. Amidst the two warring camps of Jesuits were neutral provinces such as the Netherlands and Spain, and still battling for its survival against the popularity of the Vatican, sponsored by Opus Dei Mary, a Spanish satanic devotion cult. Hmm. Well, by 1946, after the end of, the, of World War II, uh, the two warring sides of the Jesuits in Europe and the Americas finally arranged to elect a new superior general in Belgium, um, uh, a new superior general, uh, Jean-Baptiste Janssens of Belgium. Well, following the death of Jean-Baptiste Janssens, the visions in philosophy and approaches between the Jesuits and North America um, uh, between the Jesuits of North America and Europe continued to widen. Uh, the American Jesuits became the leading scholars in promoting revised nihilistic philosophies, attacking not only traditional spiritualism, but degrading the level of competence in a wide variety of academic disciplines in the deliberate dumbing down of the world. Well, there you go. <laughs> Well, nihilism through the mass packaging of American culture by the American Jesuits not only helped maintain the dominance of America as a superpower, but ensured they remained dominance against their rivals in Europe. In 1965, Pedro Arupe was elected the next superior general of the Jesuits um, amidst the continuing decline in numbers and academic standards of the order as nihilistic philosophies took their toll. Well, in 1972, a partial truce was formulated in the creation of the office of the President of the Jesuit Conference of the United States and an accompanying office of the President of the Jesuit Conference of the European Provincials. Now these two factions had a means by which to communicate on, quote, equal terms, and a truce was finally um, achieved. Well, upon the death of Pedro Rupi in 1983, uh, the Dutch-born Peter Hans Kovenbach was elected superior general until his uh, decision to resign in 2008. Um, and despite the, the Jesuit order reaching a point, uh, reaching a point by 2008 of being overpopulated by blissfully nihilistic, barely competent, and arrogant and undisciplined recruits especially within the once-dominant United States faction, the Jesuit order has reestablished a stronger sense within its own ranks of the priority of spiritualism and social justice. Wow, where have we heard that before? Uh, especially in the reestablishment of the, quote, golden rule of law. And the election of Pope Francis um, uh, on March the 14th, which is the traditional day of blood, an ancient birthday of uh, Mithra represents a historic point for the Jesuits and the Catholic Church in a rejection of the insanity of nihilism and the potential implementation of promised reforms of Vatican II and focus on personal responsibility. So that's a lot to take in. Uh, if you want to read this for yourself, um, like with everything else, go to our website, wakeupmissionshow.com. You can read this for yourself. Now that we're talking about that, um, this is, uh, let's see, where is it? Oh, here it is. 
Okay. They are a military um, religious order of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, and I, I know we're at the top of the hour. Um, and, well, I, I guess we can do this when we get back. We do need to take a break. So um, we're going to take a break. I've got more stuff to read, and we've got more audio. I, honestly, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get all this in. And we've got guests booked, <laughs> so I don't know when I'll be able to do a part two, if ever. Uh, I'll make a note and try to remember, because my memory is not all that good sometimes. Well, we're going to take a quick musical break. Uh, and when we get back... Um, I've got like I guess I've got the got their O's, so uh, that's something that you want to listen to, and we'll try to get the rest of this stuff in. Um, you know, because not laying all this in the Jesuits' laps. Uh, there, there's plenty of um, blame and guilt to go around uh, as far as the um, the Vatican. So uh, stay tuned, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Well, I'm waiting on the bumper. Stay tuned for the second half of the Wake Up Mission Show. And now I'm waiting on Metallica.
Well, that song goes on a lot longer, uh, but uh, we've got to get back to the show here. Uh, this is the Metallica show. And I really love that song. I want to listen to the rest of it, but we've got to move on. Now, this, um, uh, and you, you can read all this stuff on our website, too, so make, make sure you go there to check this out. Don't just take my word for it. I'm not making all this stuff up, because, hell, I'm not smart enough to make all this up. Well, the uh, as we established, uh, the, the Jesuits are a military religious order of the Roman Catholic Church, and they've had their differences over the years. <clears throat> well, I want you guys to check this out, and you read it for yourself. Uh, I found this on BibleBelievers.org.au, and it's about the Jesuits. Quote, when a Jesuit of the minor rank is to be elevated to command, his conducted into the chapel of the convent of the order, where there are only three others present, the principal or superior standing in front of the altar, and on the other side stands a monk, one of who holds a banner of yellow and white, which are the papal colors, and the other a black banner with a dagger and red cross above a skull and crossbones. And the word INRI, I-N-R-I, and below them the words Wisdom, Nica, Rigus, Impuis, and that, and the meaning which is, it is just to exterminate or annihilate impious or heretical kings, governments, or rulers. Upon the floor is a red cross at which the postulant or candidate kneels. The superior hands him a small black crucifix, crucifix which he takes in his left hand and presses to his heart, and the superior at the same time presents to him a dagger, which he grasps by the blade and holds the point against his heart, and the superior still holding it by the hilt, and thus addresses the postulant. And the superior says, quote, My son, heretofore you have been taught to act the dissembler among Roman Catholics to be a Roman Catholic, and to be a spy even among your own brethren, to believe no man, to trust no man. Among the reformers, to be a reformer. Among the Huguenots, to be a Huguenot among the Calvinists, to be a Calvinist, among other Protestants, generally to be a Protestant in obtaining their confidence, to seek even to preach from their pulpits and to denounce with all the vehemence in your nature our holy religion and the Pope, and even to descend so low as to become a Jew among Jews, that you might be enabled to gather together all information for the benefit of your order as a faithful soldier of the Pope. You have been taught to insidiously plant the seeds of jealousy and hatred between communities, provinces, states that were at peace, and incite them to deeds of blood involving them in war with each other, and to create revolutions and civil wars in countries that were independent and prosperous, cultivating the arts and the sciences and enjoying the blessings of peace, to take sides with the combatants, and to act secretly with your brother Jesuit, who might be engaged on the other side, but openly imposed to that which you might be connected, only that the church might be the gainer in the end, in the conditions fixed in the treaties for peace, and that the ends justify the means. You have been taught your duty as a spy to gather all statistics, facts, and information in your power from every source 
to ingratiate yourself into the confidence of the family circle of Protestants and heretics of every, of every class and character, as well as that of the merchant, the banker, the lawyer, among the schools and universities, and parliaments and legislatures, and the judiciaries and councils of state, and to be all things to all men for the Pope's sake, whose servants we are unto death. You have received all your instructions heretofore, heretofore as a novice, a neophyte, and has served as a co-adjurer, confessor, and priest. But you have not yet been invested with all that is necessary to command in the army of Loyola and the service of the Pope. You must serve the proper time as the instrument and executioner as directed by your superiors, for none can command here who has not consecrated his labors with the blood of the heretic. For without shedding of blood, no man can be saved. Therefore, to fit yourself for your work and make your own salvation sure, you will, in addition to your former oath of obedience to your order and allegiance to the Pope, repeat after me. And then here is the um, oath. I state your name. Now in the presence of Almighty God, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Blessed Michael, the Archangel, uh, the Blessed St. John the Baptist, the Holy Apostles, St. Peter and St. Paul, and all the saints and sacred hosts of heaven. And now to you, my ghostly father, the Superior General of the Society of Jesus, founded by St. Ignatius Loyola in the pontificate of Paul III, and can continue to the present, do by the womb of the Virgin, the Matrix of God, and the Rod of Jesus Christ, declare and swear that His Holiness the Pope is Christ's Vice-Regent, and is the true and only head of the Catholic or universal church throughout the earth. And that by virtue of the keys of binding and loosing given to his holiness, my savior, Jesus Christ, he hath power to depose her heretical kings, princes, states, commonwealths, and governments, all being illegal without his sacred confirmation and that they may safely be destroyed. Therefore, to the utmost of my power, I shall and will defend this doctrine of his holiness, right, and custom against all usurpers of the heretical or Protestant authority, whatever, especially the Lutheran of Germany, Holland, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, and now the pretended authority in churches of England and Scotland and branches of the same is now established in Ireland and on the continent of America and elsewhere. And all adherents in regard that they may be usurped, heretical, opposing the sacred mother church of Rome. I do now renounce and disown any allegiance as due to any heretical king, prince, or state, named Protestants or liberals, or obedience to any laws, magistrates, or officers. I do further declare that the doctrine of the churches of England and Scotland, of the Calvinists, Huguenots, and others of the name Protestants or liberals be damnable, and they themselves damned who will not forsake the same. I do further declare that I will help, assist, and advise all or any of His Holiness's agents in any place wherever I shall be, Switzerland, Germany, Holland, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, England, Ireland, or America, or in any other kingdom or territory I shall come to and do my utmost to extirpate the heretical Protestants or liberals' doctrines and destroy all their pretended powers, legal or otherwise. 
I do further promise and declare that notwithstanding I am dispensed with to assume my religion heretical for the propaganda of the mother church's interest to keep secret and private all her agents counsels from time to time as they as they may entrust me and not to divulge directly or indirectly by word writing or circumstance whatever but to execute all that shall be proposed given in charge or discovered unto me by you my ghostly father or any of this sacred covenant I do further promise and declare that I will have no opinion nor will of my own or any mental reservation whatsoever, even as a course, corpse or cadaver, but unhesitantly obey each and every command that I may receive from by, by my superiors and the militia of the Pope and of Jesus Christ, that I may go part, go to any part of the world whether, whithersoever I may be sent to the frozen regions of the north, the burning sands of the deserts of Africa, or the jungles of India, to the centers of civilization in Europe, or to the wild haunts and the barbarous savages of America, without murmuring, murmuring or repining, and will be submissive in all things whatsoever communicated to me. I furthermore promise and declare that I will, when given oppor when opportunity presents, make and wage relentless war secretly or openly against all heretics, Protestants and liberals, as I am directed to do, to extirpate and exterminate them from the face of the whole earth, and that I will spare neither age, sex, nor condition, and that I will hang, waste, boil, flay, strangle, and bury alive these infamous heretics, rip up the stomachs and wombs of their women and crush their infants' heads against the walls in order to annihilate forever their exacerbable race, that when the same cannot be done openly, I will secretly use the poison cup, the strangulating cord, the steel, the, the, pine or, the pointered, or the leaden bullet, regardless of the honor, rank, dignity, or authority of the person or persons, whatever may be their condition in life, either public or private, as I at any time may be directed to do so by any agent of the Pope or superior of the Brotherhood of the Holy Faith of the Society of Jesus. In confirmation of which, I hereby dedicate my life, soul, and all my corporal powers, and with this dagger which I now receive, I will subscribe my name written in my own blood and testimony thereof, and should I prove false or weaken in my determination, may my brethren and fellow soldiers of the militia of the Pope cut off my hands and my feet, and my throat from ear to ear, my belly opened, and sulfur burned therein, with all the punishment that can be inflicted upon me on earth, and my soul be tortured by demons in an eternal hell forever. All of which I, state your name, do swear by the blessed trinity and blessed sacraments, which I am now to receive, to perform, and on my own part to keep inviolable, and do call in, the heavenly and glorious host of heaven to witness the blessed sacrament of the Eucharist. And with this the same further, with my name written, with the point of this dagger dipped in my own blood and sealed in the face of this holy covenant. And then he receives the wafer from the superior and writes his name, and the point of the dagger dipped in his own blood taken over his heart. And the superior says, quote, you will now rise to your feet, and I will instruct you in the catechism necessary to make yourself known to any member of the Society of Jesus belonging to this rank. In the first place, you as a brother Jesuit with, will with another mutually make the ordinary sign of the cross as an ordinary Roman Catholic would. Then one cross his wrist, the palms of his hands open, and the other in answer crosses his feet 
one above the other. The first points with the forefinger of the right hand to the center of the palm of the left, with the other with the forefinger of the left hand points to center to the palm of the right. Then the first then with this right hand makes a circle around his head, touching it, and the other then with the forefinger of his left hand touches the left side of his body just below his heart. The first then with his right hand draws it across the throat of the other, and the latter then with the dagger down the stomach and abdomen of the first. The first then says lustum, and the other answers nikar. The first regus, the other answers empoius. The first will then present a small piece of paper folded in a peculiar manner four times, which the other will cut longitudinally, an opening the name Jisu will be found written upon the head and arms of the cross three times. You will then give and receive with him the following questions and answers. Question. From whether do you come? Answer. The Holy Fate. Question. For whom do you serve? The Holy Father of Rome, the Pope, and the Roman Catholic Church Universal throughout the world. Question. Who commands you? Answer. The successor of St. Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Society of Jesus or the Soldiers of Jesus Christ. Question. Who received you? Answer. A venerable man in, a white, in white hair. Question. How? With the naked dagger, I kneeling upon the cross beneath the banners of the Pope and our sacred order. Question. Did you take an oath? Answer. I did. To destroy heretics and their governments and rulers, and spare neither age, sex, nor condition, to be a corpse without any opinion or of my own will, but to implicitly obey my superiors in all things without hesitation or murmuring. Question. Will you do that? Answer. I will. Question. How do you travel? Answer. In the bark of Peter the fisherman. Question. Whether do you travel? Answer. To the four quarters of the globe. Question. For what purpose? Answer, to obey the orders of my general and superiors and execute the will of the Pope and faithfully fulfill the conditions of my oath. Question, go ye then into all the world and take possession of all lands in the name of the Pope. He will not accept him as the vicar of Jesus and his vice-regent on earth and let him be accused, accursed, and exterminated. So, that's pretty hardcore stuff there. So, that's what they're all about, I guess. Well, um, let's go ahead and uh, let's see. The there was uh, uh, Malachi Martin. Uh, he 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 basically blew the lid off of all this, and um, you know, and he he's he since passed. But you know, he he had done interviews, a lot of them with uh, Art Bell on Coast to Coast AM. But they're all like two hours and three hours, and of course, can't fit all that in. But um, here's some audio that uh, uh, Malachi uh, did with Art Bell. And uh, it's not them talk. Well, it is them talking, but it's audio from a guy who did a recording. So uh, this is something very interesting to um, uh, listen to. Are you serious? Are you serious? Folks. People have always asked me, and I'm sure you've heard the same questions, and you may have the same questions. How will we know who the Antichrist is? And is he already in the world? And how can we identify him? First thing people do is immediately say, well, when he walks into the temple of God, for the worshipers of God, and declares that he is God, then we'll know it's him. 
Well, that will be one of the things he will do, but I think he will already have been identified even before that moment. And uh, I want to share with you some scripture, but I'm going to play for you a, uh, a, a perspective. It really is. It's not a prophecy, but it's a perspective of a uh, Dr. Malachi Martin back in 1996 in an interview he was doing on Coast to Coast Radio and in which he explains the two main characteristics of the Antichrist. And I, I find them fascinating because I think he, that, uh, well, I'll let you hear it. Let me read to you what the scripture says. The Bible does say in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So at some point he will walk in and do this. The temple hasn't been rebuilt yet, but I mean at some point he will do this. But I think he will have already declared himself God by his mighty exploits, tremendous wisdom and supernatural understanding knowledge that he will get from Satan because he's what we call purely possessed. Now, there is a thing called demon infestation. That's when demons take over a, a location, a house, a building. And, and uh, the people who go, enter into that house or building are tormented by the demons that stay there. They're not possessed. They're tormented by them. There's, a, there's another thing called demon obsession or demon oppression. And that's when demons torment certain individuals. And that can happen through generational curses or through sorcery, curses, or through uh, people opening up their, you know, getting involved in seances and Ouija boards and different types of um, uh, occultic practices that invites demon spirits upon them. Uh, a third thing is called demon possession. That's when you are possessed. Now, we think immediately of the exorcist. We think of some of these very, very profound uh, manifestations, which I have seen when I used to work in a prison. Boy, I think God only worked there six weeks. But uh, and I walked through and was in inside what was called the criminal, criminally insane of the 88th most most dangerous insane criminals in the state of Indiana, and they were like animals. They did not act like people. They were naked. They were raving. They were foaming. They were clawing. And they would speak things at you with information that there's no way they could know about you. You knew it was demons everywhere. And the, these poor souls were tormented. But then there's what's called being demon-possessed, where people are sold their soul to the devil. And the devil has made them extremely powerful and successful. And they use that power 
to achieve great wealth, great political position or standings as they climb the ladder of what they think is going to be a life of, of, of victory, but it always ends in a crashing defeat of damnation. Lucifer's a liar. He can't promise anything. He's a deceiver. And in the end, all of his victims will perish. Now, Jesus Christ can set you free, but you'll have to submit your will to him, and you will have to be set free by the blood of Christ. Now, so we know some of the characteristics, but notice here. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now you know that withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. The plan, the mystery of iniquity, or the Antichrist plan, is already in process. Now, I'm going to play for you about three minutes of Dr. Malachi, excuse me, Dr. Malachi Martin. And um, uh, I just want you to hear his words. Uh, I read his books before when I studied, studied demonology, and I do know that uh, I find his it's fascinating. I find it very fascinating, uh, the two characteristics that he feels will be evident that the Antichrist is in the process of being revealed. Let me go now to a radio interview with him on Coast to Coast. This was back in 1996. Back now to Dr. Malachi Martin. Doctor, are you there? Of course I am. Good. Good. To everything, I'm fascinated. <laughs> uh, doctor, um, is there now, or is there going to be an Antichrist? There, whether there is now, is a question. There is going to be an Antichrist, and I think the best thing we can do is talk about his public appearance. All right. Because he may already be in existence. Uh, for me to say he is in existence would immediately provoke the questions, where is he and what is he doing? Yes. Now I want to avoid that. Yes. Uh, but there, there, he will be manifest publicly within a reasonable amount of time. Most people who are 20-something or 30-something will come across Antichrist in their life. I'm 76. I may not. How will we know him? We will know him by two main qualities. First of all, he will arrive at a time when we as a race have what looks like insuperable problems. Supposing we have, we discover we have insuperable, really insuperable environmental problems. Yeah, yes, sir. Climate Supposing chaos. we find we have insuperable uh, uh, health problems, a disease. Yes, wasting, wasting nation after nation. Right. That's the first thing. He will have solutions for those problems. He will have wise solutions, solutions that are real solutions. And number two, his, the result of his, of his intervention and his, the, the results of his, of his solutions will be such that people will say, you must be God. And he will accept that attribute. He will accept that. Yes, he will accept that. That will be, those are the three marks of the Antichrist. Now, 
he talks about there will be insuperable uh, environmental problems. Maybe there's an asteroid that hit the earth. Maybe Fukushima blows up in a typhoon. <clears throat> Pray for that, that that thing don't hit that. Maybe radiation poisons the, the, the so much of the land and the water and the sea that it's, it's incurable and people are dying, some of them quickly, some of them slowly, but the earth is slowly, as you heard uh, Dr. Martin say, slowly, but insuperable, beyond our comprehension or our, our human race ability to fix it. We feel destined for doom. Maybe there's insuperable uh, health problems from this catastrophe, from this environmental catastrophe that we don't know where else to go, diseases, what have you. He says that the Antichrist will appear and will have supernaturally the answer and it will work and it will be so remarkable and so unbelievable that people will thrust upon him the term, you must be God. You must be God. And he accepts the world's endorsement. It's different than walking and saying, I am God. We've had a lot of antichrist, uh, false Christ and antichrist type spirits declare they were God. And people said, yeah, right. Yeah. But it's another thing when you can solve the world's problem that looks as if the world is going to crash and burn. And you rescue the world. And the world, because of their lack of knowledge of the word, immediately embrace you as their God. I have seen cultures try to embrace people as a God, but it didn't work because they did not have the demonic ability to perform it. Now look what it says in the scriptures I was reading. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Okay, so that's some things that uh, Malachi had to say, and I apologize for the feedback. I forgot to mute my microphone, uh, and I had a speaker on. Well, <clears throat> we're going to move on. Um, this is another <clears throat> audio that um, you need to check out, and, and there's more. We just don't have time to get all this stuff in today, so... Uh, this is pretty um, pretty heavy. He encouraged people to see Jesus as a man who still prays for us. The Pope explained that through his wounds, Jesus reminds the Father that he paid the ultimate price to save humanity. Father, um, I've got an article here entitled, Two Eminent Churchmen Agree, Yes. Uh, that there actually is, this is a shocker to a lot of people, yes. uh, that there is, there are satanic practices going on at the Vatican. Could that be true? Yes. Do you want to, you want to say that? Uh, uh, if I was a lawyer and you were on the witness chair, I'd say, would you say it? <laughs> it's out loud, yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. 
Now, when we say in the Vatican, it's at a certain level. And um, there's no doubt about it that there have been and still are practices that are uh, formally uh, venerating Lucifer, the prince of this world. There's no doubt about that. The Vatican itself has about eight resident exorcists. And uh, it, it uses those both there and in the two other cities that are devil-ridden in Italy, Milano and Torino, Milan and uh, Turin. But there's no doubt about it that satanic or Luciferian practices, because it's really of the prince, and his name is Lucifer. It's really of the prince that these, uh, in veneration of him and service of him, that these actions have taken place and do take place. Why is there a Vatican Observatory run by Vatican astronomers in the state of Arizona? Learn why these Vatican astronomers are involved with Project Lucifer using a special infrared camera attached to the most powerful telescope on Earth that peers into deep space searching for aliens and UFOs. Initial instrumentation includes twin blue and red cameras for wide field imaging as well as nulling interferometry capabilities to spot distant planets advanced spectroscopy devices, and a near-infrared imager and spectrograph called Lucifer. The Jesuit order has had observatories of its own in Rome since the 16th century. The Vatican started building its observatories much later. The summer residence of the Pope in Castel Gondolfo, just south of Rome. Inside the two domes perched atop the Papal Palace are the Vatican's telescopes. The astronomers lodge in a former monastery Many of the researchers at the Specula Vaticana are Jesuit priests. Per giustificarci. Siamo giusti. Grazie a lui. Adesso se n'è andato. E prega. Ma Gesù è uno spirito. Gesù non è uno spirito. Gesù è una persona, è un uomo con carne come la nostra, ma in gloria. There's more. Uh, they just, there's just silence in some of this audio because they're showing text. You'll have to go to our website to see all this. in <laughs> partes Motuati 
partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. O certe necessarium ad peccatum. Did you say that you are Lucifer? I am Lucifer. Okay, define Lucifer for me. Pure, virtuous, wholesome, innocent individual that's out to help people. Lucifer is? Yeah. Luc say that again. Lucifer is a pure, holy... Virtuous. Virtuous. Now, see the Lucifer that God created? That's the same one. Oh, man, this is great. I'm going to put this on the Internet. Oh, Amen. God bless you, Amen. brother. Because that's exactly what the Shriners and Masons teach, is that Lucifer, Lucifer is light. Okay, tell me about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Oh. He's, he's my leader. Is he the Son of God? Yes, he is. Is he the only worshipful master? Yes. See, this is what a Mason confesses, is that Lucifer is light. Freemasonry is the center and queen of secret societies, binding members to secrecy by fearful oaths. This hallmark of evil is confirmed by the wicked aims and the wicked fruits of Freemasonry, which are the overthrow of Christianity. And there are enemies of our Lord Jesus Christ right back from the moment he was crucified. That is the explanation of the paralysis of the Catholic Church. The paralytic state in which the Catholic Church is, the Freemasons are in control and Satan has been enthroned. And until some pope has the power and the courage to chase the devil out, a large number of the leading churchmen are at the service of Satan through Freemasonry. If you ask how can possibly a Catholic churchman get into Freemasonry, the churchmen are tempted to join what they can't lick. That's the basic temptation. They kid themselves that this process is going to lead to a bright and brave new world. And so that the way in which a Catholic today is really Catholic is not by staying faithful to the fuddy-duddy old crusty dogmas and doctrines, they must join this Masonic process rather than resist it. Freemasonry plays a very important part in how the church has got into its present mess. Humanly speaking, the situation is hopeless. The Lord God has allowed it to get out of control. It's a punishment. A lot of people today don't want the truth. They like their slush and their mush and their lies. It's a punishment. These churchmen want to become Freemasons. There's then the wave of the future. They're on the winning side instead of being on the losing side. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. If you take this old-fashioned view of Catholicism like we're taking, we're absolute losers. We've lost. It's hopeless. The future is dark, humanly speaking, dark, dark, dark. There is no hope virtually. The Masons have won, the bad guys are in control, and there's no future. When we are successful, and we will be. There is a clear clash, a clear and head-on clash between Jesus Christ on one side and Satan on the other, which is the mainspring of history.
and it was a Jesuit priest who said, Eric, maybe you should read a book of Enoch. So I started to investigate this, and I found something very bizarre. I found that most of the telescope and probes that observe the sun are owned by no one else but the Vatican. <laughs> the Vatican. And I was thinking, well, that is strange. What does the Vatican want with the sun?
sulle mani, sui piedi, al suo fianco. E quando prega fa vedere al Padre questo prezzo della giustificazione e prega per noi. Okay, so, again, this is more of a visual. You really need to check that video out on our uh, website or Facebook page. And it, it, what, what the, a lot of the evidence that um, I found, you know, kind of, you know, it all makes sense, uh, you know, with the events that are going on in the world today. And then you've got this Antichrist um, Pope going around, Talking about climate change, this is all about control. This is nothing to do, you know, like uh, Malachi said, you know, there's going to be some great global problem, like, quote, global warming, right? <laughs> so, or climate change, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, the, the whole thing. Um, so you, you, uh, you've got to connect those dots, you know, and why is there so much secrecy at the Vatican? Um You've got to ask yourself those questions, and a lot of what the Jesuits, a lot of the, you know, the the deception, does that sound familiar? You know, like, you know, lying to achieve the goal. Who's real popular in the news right now, um, and their religion has the, that same tenet about lying to achieve your goal? Well, now you you know, unless you've been living under a rock, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, put all that together. You know, we've got this global problem, supposedly, with uh, with uh, Islam. We've got this global problem with the climate. And who's at the forefront of all this? 
the Pope and who's at the forefront um, up there with him. All these so-called world leaders. This ain't a, they're not looking out for your own good. They're looking to, to control you. Uh, they're looking to usher in this new world order. And George Bush, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, uh, Bush the first, <laughs> you know, with his um, Freudian slip there about the new world order way back when. Well, this was going on long before, you know, he was a twinkle in his dad's eye. <laughs> so, you know, and Prescott Bush, you know, and he's another, um, you know, another nefarious individual, um, you know, uh, you know, don't take my word for it. Look it up. Well, you know, I, I had a lot more uh, audio, but again, there, there's just was not enough time to get all this done today, but hopefully your eyes were opened to this. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's right there. All you got to do, if you want to see it, you'll see it. If you don't want to see it, you won't see it. And again, you know, to any of our Catholic listeners, I didn't do this to, um, you know, it probably pissed you off, you know, but you've got to ask yourself these questions. Why do they, why is everything in Latin? Why are the courts here in the U.S everything in Latin. Why is that? It's because they understand Latin. How many, you know, they say Latin's a dead language. Well, apparently it's not a dead language. It's not a dead language at the Vatican. It's not a dead language at the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. It's not a dead language in the court systems. Why is that? It's like code. It's right there in front of you, people. It's code. And um, I, I want to thank listener Melinda. She's a dear friend. Um, she sent me a lot of this information and, and basically, um, you know, opened the door or basically, you know, showed me where I could get a lot of this information um, and, you know, certain topics to look up, questions to ask. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, I mean, I had been thinking about this for a while, but, uh, you know, she really, you know, with, with her uh, guidance, if you will, and, you know, steering me in the right direction to find this information. I, I do want to thank her. I want to thank her for listening. I want to thank her for her friendship and uh, for, you know, pitching in and helping out with the show. Because a lot of times I, with the with the show, you know, without Shalene being here, and uh, she will be back with us uh, soon, thank God. <laughs> I feel like um, Kramer on Seinfeld, like when he found all the, um, on that dumpster, when he found all that game show stuff, <laughs> and he set it up in his living room. Sometimes I feel like I'm sitting in here in my living room, uh, living in this imaginary radio world, <laughs> you know, like Kramer had that imaginary talk show world, um, when he would have George and Elaine and uh, Jerry come over. Well, that... Um, you know, I kind of got sidetracked there, and I, I tend to do that from time to time, you know, because I'm starving because I haven't had dinner yet. Um, you know, I'm like uh, Marsha in that Brady Bunch commercial. I'm actually Danny Trujillo standing there with an axe. Peter hit me in the nose with a football, but not really. But anyways, there's a lot of information out there on this, you know, and don't take my word for it. You know, do your own research, draw your own conclusions, but it 
pretty much, you know, the, the evidence is pretty overwhelming and pretty damning uh, with the track record, you know, from what's, and again, why all the secrecy, why all these mysterious deaths when anyone comes out and says anything uh, about, you know, uh, about the Vatican or about the Roman Catholics. Now, there's a difference between Roman Catholics and Catholics. And and I had a conversation years ago uh, with the guy I used to work with, um, and he brought and he had mentioned this, you know, because it was back when you know the illegal immigration thing uh, was you know coming to uh, a head out in California, and he had mentioned this that the United States is actually just an extension of the Roman Empire, and I thought what? Well, you know. It is true, you know, and it's not our, it's not the people's fault, but, you know, this just, you know, all the, all the, uh, you know, the movers and shakers, the heavy hitters, whatever you want to call them, um, you know, these secret societies and orders, they, they didn't all spring up, um, uh, you know, on September the 10th, 2001, they've been around for a long, long time and all the events in the world, they are behind that. So when people talk about shadow governments and, and uh, whatnot, it's really there, you know, it's just whether you want to believe it or not, that's your choice. I believe it because I see the evidence, you know, I see the matrix. I'm Neo and I approve this message. I see the matrix, but um, <clears throat> maybe we'll explore some more of this tomorrow. Uh, look up Charlotte Keckler. And for all of this evidence, there's also counter evidence where people are disputing the claims, but why the deaths, um, and why does, did that um, Archbishop in, in L.A., uh, Roger Mahoney, why was he encouraging illegal immigration? Because he wants to get to those kids. Well, that pretty much wraps up for today. I want to make a, on a programming note tomorrow, um, we have a returning guest, Daryl Perry. He was one of the Liberty candidates that came on uh, our debate uh, for the um, in the November 10th um presidential election debate so uh, make sure you tune in for that tomorrow and hopefully michael c school will, will be on with us uh uh to um uh, conduct the, the interview so thanks for tuning in i really appreciate it uh, i know you could spend two hours doing something else or listening to somebody else but you chose to spend this time with us really appreciate it uh very much because without you guys it's like why the hell bother doing this so thank you have a great night and uh we'll see you tomorrow same bat time same bat channel with daryl perry and michael c school it's going to be good so make sure you tune in for it have a good night everybody thank you for spending your time with us on the wake up mission show There's always a reason to celebrate. Weddings, quinceañeras, or just because I love you. Now, for a limited time, switch to AT&T and buy two Samsung Galaxy S7s for one great price. Visit your nearest AT&T store today. AT&T, mobilizing your world. Limited time offers. Each line requires eligible port-in, trade-in, purchase, and service. Get minimum of $10 trade-in credit plus prepaid card in amounts of device balance or early termination fee less trade-in. Fees, charges, and restrictions apply. See store for details.
Run to Old Navy today for revolutionary prices on summer's hottest swimwear. Today only, all swimwear is 60% off. That's 60% off board shorts, chic bandeaus, and stylish one pieces. All swimwear is 60% off, but just for one day, today. Run to Old Navy, valid 7-3.